0: Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. The professional journey of our mentor this month began in public relations on Madison Avenue in New York City, working with renowned Fortune 500 companies such as DuPont, Tonka Toys, and many others. Early on, she noticed that some people possessed a greater capacity than others for building relationships and then functioning more effectively because of that in the workplace. Her curiosity about the vital link between psychological hardiness and professional success led her to pursue a master's degree in counseling psychology from the John F. Kennedy University and to later become a psychotherapist in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. She now combines her expertise in the business world with her understanding of how people and teams function and dysfunction, and uses this knowledge to help dental practices thrive. She provides tangible, practical tools and life-changing advice, all aimed at bridging the gap between our humanity and our profession. She challenges dental professionals to become their personal best and to awaken the leader within by embracing change, taking risks, and developing and sustaining the skills critical to their personal and professional success. With that, we welcome Mary O'Neill as this month's Crown Council Mentor of the Month. Mary, welcome.
1: Thank you, Steve. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, I I chuckled when you were reading the dysfunction part because, um, yeah, it's like welcome to the human race. That's what we do.
0: So if there is any topic or anything that is rated more highly than anything else in terms of the biggest frustration that most people deal with in organizations and in a dental practice, it would be team management and just overall managing the personnel, the personalities, and all of the things that are involved in that. And today you're going to share with us five team conflict mistakes or mistakes that most people make when dealing with or, in many cases, not dealing with team conflict. So we're eager yes. to hear about those as well as your prescription doctor on how, yes. to, uh, how to deal with those better. So uh, for starters, why don't you share with us uh, mistake number one?
1: All right, well, mistake number one is not recognizing the early warning signs of team conflict and, or even intrapersonal conflict. Sometimes the, the conflict is within us. But generally speaking, most people feel so uncomfortable about conflict that even if it's, it's present, they tend to ignore it. And so they have to become familiar with the early signs in case they can't rely on their own intuition. And typically what you see in a team at the beginning, you know, gossip is very um, uh, prominent when the team is in conflict. And generally just the body language, you know, the rolling of eyes or the shrugging of soul, shoulders, or you might find the people silent at meetings. Um, and then if, if conflict isn't addressed, people start getting angry. And, and there I don't know... Um, if it tends to lead necessarily to outbursts, but you can sense that people are um, upset, and uh, what happens a lot is people tend to ignore it because they don't know how to broach the subject. They can sense it happening in others, but they're not—they don't feel equipped to know how to talk
0: about it. And so, is so- the is the mistake? not recognizing the early warning signs or not wanting to recognize the early warning signs because of lack of skills of knowing how to deal with it?
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I think most people really flee from conflict because it's so uncomfortable. And uh, most people, if you, you know, every time I've taught a program on conflict and I ask people, um, you know, how how they feel about dealing with it. You know, do they tend to fight or flee? Most people will raise their hand and send a, a, say that they um, tend to flee from conflict. It, uh, so I think, first of all, they don't want to deal with it. And secondly, because of that, uh, let's say, limiting belief, they actually don't recognize the signs, which are pretty present when conflict is present. And at least So. Stages, Go
0: ahead. As, as we get into this, so you know, I'm, you'll talk about exactly how to deal with you know different types of conflict or potential conflict. Uh, but in in terms of not recognizing the early warning signs, uh, yeah. Is it your theory? is there? Is it better to act early rather than late, or hang on and see if things blow over, or where's, where's or, or I'm sure it's situational.
1: Yeah, well, it's situational, but I honestly believe that our job is really to learn to shorten the distance between the time a conflict erupts and we notice it, and and the time we deal with it. Because the longer we, the longer time in between noticing and dealing with it, all sorts of things can happen. And um, can I give you an example of, of something I I observed uh, recently with a team? Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I was working with a practice. Um, not so long ago where, uh, you know, the dentist, it was clear that there was something going on after some time reached out to me. And um, I went in and did a program for them. And within just an hour of sitting with the group, it was so obvious to me that something was going on uh, among two or three individuals. And so um, when we broke for lunch, I suggested that we Hang back and, and talk about it, and this the three of these well two people in particular, had gotten so upset over something four years before and did not know how to deal with it that they actually hadn't talked to each other in four years and this this dentist, this doctor actually was aware that there was a problem, but he didn't know that four years ago his team members had actually stopped talking to each other. And so that's how unnoticed it can go. And yet it was clearly affecting, um, especially the, the, you know, the back office. Uh, it was, these were two clinicians. So um, they were not talking to each other and at one point had been best friends. So that just gives you an idea of what can happen you know, when, when you, don't, you don't address it. And, this individual uh, felt he admitted to feeling so um, ill-equipped and uncomfortable when it came to dealing with conflict that he actually he said his modus operandi was to avoid it until he really he couldn't do he couldn't avoid it any longer. It was beginning to affect the the spirit and the energy of the team, and I'm sure that spills over into the patients. I think patients were becoming aware of the the tension.
0: So maybe you could summarize for us maybe some, some early warning signs uh, for those of us that may not be as in tune to these things as you are, but, but maybe some early warning signs that there's a storm on the horizon that would be good to at least look for be aware of.
1: Well, I work behaviorally, so I look for behavioral signs you know i yep. It's not uncommon to hear somebody say that somebody came up front and just you know threw a chart down quickly or abruptly, or um, someone speaks harshly in a really harsh tone of voice um, you know I've had people tell me that uh you know, people will bark orders at one another, and you know at that point. I mean, unless that's someone's personality and they typically behave like that, these are signs that something, somebody's upset about something and just uh, is kind of clueless in knowing how to talk about it. So I would say behaviorally, you look at the tone of voice that people are using with one another. You look at the words people are starting to use, and, and um and the body language. Um. These these things are you know the rolling of eyes and the shrugging of sh- shoulders as I said before are um, signs. But then you know when things become a little bit more um, escalated, you know you can see teams divided and that's when the gossiping. I think that's really when the gossiping occurs and um, or people going out to lunch sometimes and leaving others behind and um, you you just start noticing behavioral patterns. And, you know, the best advice that I can give is that, you know, first of all, when we're in conflict, um, it's because a need of ours has gone unmet. We, we, we all experience conflict because our needs don't get met. And what happens for most people is we get so emotionally triggered by not having our needs met that we, we go more, we get emotionally hijacked often. And, and we forget that if we could just back up, and recognize that there's a need that we need to identify that's gone unmet and find some intelligent way of speaking about it, that's the only way that we're going to really resolve the issue that's at hand. But most people, I mean, our our creature neurology um, gets activated and we tend to act from a rather instinctual fight flight Um, when we're bothered by someone else's behavior. So our tendency is to judge or criticize or attack another individual um, or gossip. And it does nothing. The bottom line is it does nothing to get our needs met. And so the first thing we have to recognize is that behaviorally things will happen. You'll start seeing eruptions in people and teams behaviorally. But then you have to recognize that underneath that, somebody has to have the courage to address What's gone on, and typically it requires backing up and asking people about what they're needing that they're not getting, so um uh, that takes a courageous act <laughs> of moving forward. It's all about communication as far as I'm concerned
0: all right, so if i if I'm not guilty of mistake number one, which is not recognizing it, so let's say now I do recognize it, mm-hmm. uh, I believe your second mistake is trying to avoid it
1: yes i mean there are many times people you know honestly will be able to see the warning signs and 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 it's, uh you know it brings up fear it brings up fear in a lot of people because they actually don't know how to speak to it so um one of the things that i suggest is that you don't avoid conflict i mean doing so you know can drain you of your own energy and can drain a practice of its energy and patience and so you, once you, you're aware of the signs, once you sense, and it's palpable, conflict is a palpable presence. And so um, the more that you turn into – actually, the more self-aware you are, um, the more you'll be able to tune into what's going on with others. So one of the first skills I think people need to develop is a greater self-awareness, the, the ability to tune into themselves and what's going on and what they're sensing and feeling and needing because – Learning to talk about concepts requires that you don't point a finger at the other person, but you take responsibility for what you're seeing and feeling, and you speak to that. So um it's a, again a courageous act. it requires that you take a deep breath and you get out of your comfort zone and if you value harmony, for example, which many people will tell me is among their top five values, then you have to align your actions with that value and um, or else things just kind of get worse. Typically, conflict doesn't, you know, you try and sweep it under a rug, it usually gets gets much worse. So you finding the courage. is the first, Becoming self-aware is really the first step to, to recognizing what's going on inside of you, your own level of discomfort with what you're observing and so forth, and then finding the courage to speak about it. Now, I, I wouldn't, um, be doing that with the entire team, but if you notice something's off with someone, I would find the courage very privately, um, not publicly, to, you know, speak to someone and just say, you know, here's what I'm seeing, you know, here's what I've, here's what I've sensed, and um, I'm just feeling really uncomfortable. Again, taking ownership of what's happening to you, I'm feeling mm-hmm. really uncomfortable about it, and I'd love to have a conversation about what's going on. And most people won't take that step because they don't feel skillful.
0: So can you – let's take your your chart example. A uh, team member comes up, kind of throws a chart at the front desk and, and walks off. Give me the exact verbal skills you would use with a fellow team member in that situation to confront.
1: Okay. So in that moment, the person's thrown the chart down and then walked off in the back. You know, it may not be timely. This is another thing with conflict. when It may be, you have to determine, is it timely in this moment to address it? Is is this where I should turn to someone? Not usually, because in that moment, the person who just had the chart, you know, tossed at them is going to be triggered. And then when you speak from a triggered place, you're usually going to say something you might regret. So I... If I were that individual that just had the chart dropped right in front of me, first of all, I would have a reaction to it. I'd probably be upset or angry or irritated by that individual, especially if this is a pattern. And and I might notice my own, again, tuning into the self. I might notice my own reaction to what just happened and recognize that it's probably not timely (laughs) until I calm myself down to talk to this individual. So that would be the first step. Notice what's going on. Notice if you're having an emotional reaction because it's very typically, um, you know, a reaction to conflict. And then calm yourself down long enough to know what you should say to this individual when it is timely. So maybe later that day, maybe when there's a break, maybe when there's a, you know, a slow period during the day or at lunch, or maybe it has to wait until, you know, business is, um, you know, the end of the day. I would go up to someone and say. Um, you know, let's say her name is Jane. You know, Jane, um, uh, I observed something earlier today that, um, you know, upset me, and I really value our, our working relationship, and I would like to talk to you about it. Would you be willing to talk to me about it? Now, typically, if you even say that, the other person may be completely clueless to the fact that they did something that um, disturbed another person. So you you want to always check to see, are you willing to talk to me? Would you be willing to talk to me? And I think telling someone that you really value the working relationship, and that's the positive intention, you know, behind talking about it, that really um, enables someone else to hear what you have to say and lowers their defenses because people will be on the on their guard. They'll put their guard up if you come up to them angrily and say, you know, something that you did this morning really kicked me off and I need to talk to you about it. So you want to make sure that you've calmed yourself down, you're clear about what's gone on for you, uh, you know what you, you, you observed, and you can speak from a place of taking ownership for what you're needing. You know, it may be in that moment that you're asking Jane, uh, if this is just an isolated incident, you know is there something going on you know because if you really appeared upset this morning and i you know i i wasn't aware of what was going on, can we talk about it um, or if this is a pattern, a repeated pattern, then you have to you know step up and say something different at that point if you haven't said anything yet, um, in that case, I might suggest that you say, you know Jane. I've been reluctant to speak about something because, quite frankly, I haven't known how to address this. And yet, what I'm aware of is that um, I have observed more than once, I would even say frequently, um, that when you come up to the front, you appear to be irritated. And, you know, today, again, you... um, you know, put the file down on the counter, just kind of th- tossed it, and don't know if you're aware of that. And so you give them the benefit of the doubt in that. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that. And um, it really, it, it's, I'm finding it, it's upsetting me. It's throwing me off my game. And I, I really need to know what's going on. Cause, and th- So then really what I'm doing right here, Steve, is following a model for um, uh, communication that I have taught for years, which is, Um, it's called Open Communication for for Conflict Resolution, and it's really talking about observation, feeling, needs, and requests. So you talk about what you observed, you talk about how you feel, you talk about what you're needing, and then you make a request. And so if you can follow those four simple steps when you're needing to confront a conflict, um, it requires that you do a little bit of work, again, on your own before you address the individual, you make sure it's timely that you're calmed down, and you talk about what you observed. You talk about how that made you feel. You talk about what you're needing, which may be simply to talk about it, and um, and you make the request to do that either now or later or whenever.
0: Excellent, an excellent formula. Can yeah, we talk it works. About, no,
1: it really works. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, can we talk uh, real quickly about group versus individual conflict because? Sometimes in a team setting, there are potentially, you know, potential conflict situations that come up in a group setting. Let me give you an example, and then you – and one of the questions here is, is it ever appropriate to deal with conflict as a group, or should it always be dealt with individually? So uh, you're in the middle of a team meeting. Let's say you're leading the team meeting, and uh, you're presenting a topic, and once or twice a team member, a fellow team member, Uh, kind of rolls her eyes and flips her head back and uh, clearly communicating uh, disgust with either the presenter or the topic or something that's going on. Mm -hmm. So you're now in Mm -hmm. front of the room and clearly Mm -hmm. this person's uh, behavior is visible to everyone in the room. It -hmm. is not lost that they're acting out. What do you Mm -hmm. do?
1: You know, this is such a common occurrence. And, and you know, so many people will do nothing. It, 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 there's an expression, what you allow, you teach. You know, what you allow, you teach. So if you don't allow this, if you don't do something, this individual will continue to behave that way. And this is, I hear this so often. Um, there's usually one person on a team that has this kind of behavior. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily bully-like, but it, c- it can feel like they're, spoiling um, the entire meeting because of their behavior because everybody's aware of the body language. It's typically pretty overt. Um, I wouldn't address it publicly. I mean, in this case, I actually uh, um, worked not so long as I was a team who had an individual like this who would do this time and again, or ch- check out, look at her fingernails and look down, and it was so clear that she was not with everybody else. Um, Addressing that individual in front of everybody wouldn't be appropriate um, if uh, you know depending on who takes the leadership role in that meeting if it's the office manager or if it's the doctor um, I would truly suggest that right after that meeting that the whoever it is and, and in this case it was the office manager just go right up to that individual and say you know I need to talk to you um, I need to talk to you about the team meetings and and the the way in which um, you're participating in them. And um, I would set a time, you know, are you able to stay after work today? Or um, could you come in a little early tomorrow? Or could we talk during, you know, a a break tomorrow at such and such a time? I would would absolutely meet with that person one-on-one. Again, I'd go back to the model. Here's what I observed. Here's how it made me feel. Here's how I imagine it made other people feel. And here's what I'm needing. And, you know, you talk about the standard that you, you set for the practice, the behavioral standards that you set for the practice, and you, and you explain, you know, this just can't happen. I don't, and I would also, I think so many times, Steve, um, individuals who have these kinds of behavioral patterns set, you know, they're sort of set in stone. Many people don't know that they do this. It's so automatic that that unless you actually point it out to certain individuals, they're not aware that they're actually showing up this way. So, um, you know, I'd be kind and I'd be compassionate, and I'd want to know, uh, are you aware? I think that's a fabulous question to lead with. Are you aware that at the team meetings um, you appear to be checking out? Or are you aware that what, other people see when they're looking at you and we're sitting together is that you're shrugging or you're you know your um, your eyes are rolling around <laughs> your head and you know or you're looking at your nails and you appear to be not with us. Are you aware that that's happening? Um, in many cases, you'll actually hear a team member say, "No, I wasn't aware of that." And then, so now you have permission. You've got you, you've made them aware of their behavior, and you you say to them, you know. It doesn't work, you know. When we're at team meetings, everybody's got to be there and give a hundred percent. And so, I'm, with your permission, I'm going to point it out to you if you do it again, and I'm going to point it out right after because we can't have that. Um, that's not what we do. We we show up here a hundred percent. And so, yeah, I get excited. Okay,
0: so it, in that situation now, that behavior was observed by the entire team. You handle it individually. Yeah. Is there any cleanup yeah. that needs to be done with the rest of the team?
1: It depends. I mean, if this has been a pattern or if it was really disturbing, um, you know, I might ask that, uh, that person to talk uh, to the team. Um, if it's an isolated incident, I don't think it's necessary as long as the person changes their behavior. But if this was a pattern that's been disturbing and nobody's addressed it and it's gone on for a long time, um, then that person may have to say something, and I think it's very courageous, very, very courageous for a team member to say you know i re- I received feedback you know from whomever uh, it might have been the office manager or the doctor and and uh, I wasn't aware i mean take again, take ownership i wasn't aware that this is how I was being perceived, and it's not the light in which I'd like to be seen so Um, I give you my word that I'm going to do my best to um, show up differently and make an apology, absolutely. Um, However, if the person is aware that this is what they're doing, it gives you an opportunity to open up the door to a deeper conversation that needs to be had. I mean, if they're aware that they're behaving like this and showing up, then clearly they've probably given up on something. Maybe they think that team meetings are unproductive and Um, they're bothered by the fact that things haven't changed, because that's a common complaint among dental teams that um, the team meetings are very unproductive, and um, somebody may have just given up, that they're just never going to change. So rather than participate, they check out. Well, that's an opportunity then to engage that person in trying to... um, you know, enroll them in in, in making it better, brainstorming about ways in which you can make it better. I always see conflict as an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity. I forget, there's a great quote by Kenneth Keyes about, um, you know, it's only, conflict really just shows us what's not working, essentially. And it gives us an opportunity to make things right.
0: Excellent. We'll come back to some other group-type situations in just a minute. Uh, but I think you've touched on this, so we'll we'll move in that direction. Your third mistake is not understanding the high cost of conflict, so maybe you could uh, differentiate for us the the difference between the high cost of conflict versus the high cost of not dealing with conflict
1: right well well the high co- I first i think that firstly the high cost of conflict is't is an inner process. You know, when you don't deal with conflict in a relationship, it eats away at you. You know, um, I I have found if I leave things unaddressed in my life, I I get irritated, I get stressed, you know. Um, Even though we may be angry at the other person, um, we're the one who takes on the stress load if we don't find a way to channel or discharge the the tension that builds up when conflict arises. So um, it takes that kind of toll on our being you know it takes toll and it spoils relationships it can actually just as I explained that that other um, those two team members hadn't talked in four years now they're talking again <laughs> but um, it ruined their relationship for four years and life is too short to let things like that happen so that's the first toll it takes um, it can also drain a practice of its energy I I, I knew of a team that was um, not functioning at, at its best and it was not – productivity was affected and, um, you know, morale was down. And that's got to spill over. You know, I don't know that you can measure that, but that's got to affect um, the patients and the practice and the patient flow and the workflow. So it takes a toll in that way. But it actually takes a financial toll. Um, and the they ex, experts actually estimate that unresolved conflict can cost a business hundreds and thousands of hours and dollars a year. And they actually guess that about 30% of an office manager's time can be spent handling interpersonal conflict. Um, Turnover tends to be significantly higher in practices where conflict remains unresolved and actually finding the time to recruit and hire and train someone new can actually cost 150% of the replaced employee's salary. So there's a huge financial toll that conflict takes on a practice, and um, and the bottom line is, ignoring it just doesn't work.
0: All right. So on the flip side of that, uh, your your fourth mistake is not recognizing the value that conflict offers. Talk exactly. to us about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, because, as I said before, I really do see conflict as an opportunity, and I think it can be one of our greatest teachers. It really can. When you're, if you're really committed to learning about conflict, you will have the opportunity to learn more about yourself as an individual. You'll have an opportunity to more, learn more about what, what it takes to build great relationships, um, you'll have an opportunity to learn about communication because it really does boil down to that. And unfortunately, most of us were not raised in families where effective communication was taught from the get go. Um, that's another question I've asked you know audiences anywhere from one hundred to five hundred people, I'll say how many you know how many people in here? Were um, taught effective communication skills from the time you were young, and you know, occasionally I see you know a few hands go up, but for the most part, we were not. It wasn't modeled for us. So here we are as adults, and we're in we're working among um, a a practice which is very much like a family, um, dental family, Um, and so the same dynamics that you had playing out for you as a youngster. If you haven't found um, a way to address the, the, what's not working for you, um, the, the patterns that are not working for you, they're going to play out in, um, at work, at, at your practice, in your position. Um, I don't care what position you play. If you haven't um, unlearned uh, patterns that aren't working and learned new ones, it's going to be an obstacle to your success. So um, the way I look at it is get excited about it. See it as an opportunity to grow and learn and create harmony and de-stress and actually take your team to a whole different level. Because, you know, happy, um, a happy team, you know, is a happy dental home, essentially. And, and that feels good. So, the, so to see the value in harmony, to recognize that if you find the courage to speak to it, um, the likelihood is that you're going to create greater unity. Uh, you're going. To, it'll lead to greater collaboration, greater teamwork, greater harmony, and um, you know, ultimately improved job satisfaction. And I would say just improved happiness overall. Because and I can speak for myself. When I have let things go too long, or tried to sweep them under the rug because I'm I'm feeling too uncomfortable about bringing something up. It always backfires on me. So, and um, I have to remind myself that you know everything's right on schedule. Take a deep breath. You know, remember what I'm feeling, what I'm needing, what my thoughts are, and um, find the courage to speak to it, so that I can really grow my own competency. And you do. You be, the more you, the more frequently you practice conflict resolution skills the more you learn to master it. And so you, your discomfort around it declines and, um, you know, ultimately it can actually become second nature to learn how to move things through things pretty quickly.
0: Myth number, or your final uh, mistake, excuse me, is no system for resolving conflict. And you already shared with us some, some tools for that. And maybe you could address, how you work with the entire team to give them a system for taking personal responsibility for resolving the conflict situations that might come up. Uh, how do you approach that in terms of the entire team?
1: Well, first of all, if, if, you're, if I'm with an entire team at, this, at the same time, that's what you're suggesting, right? Everybody's there. Um, uh, the first thing you want to do is create a safe environment. People will not talk about what's going on if people don't feel safe and they don't feel that they can trust one another to keep, keep things confidential. So you need to establish that from the very beginning, that what what's brought up stays here. Um, and you have to be able to really create a compelling vision for the practice, Um and, the, you know, in, in this case, it would be let's, you know, let's shoot for a happy, emotionally healthy and harmonious work environment. And um, what will it take to create that? I would, I, what I really do is I turn it over to the team and I ask them, you know, what would it take on your part? If this is what you want, what do you want more of? What do you want less of? And what would it take to create an ideal team, an, an ideal work day, a dream team? And then draw that information out of the team right F- find out what they want, so that they have a psychological stake in the outcome, and then ask them what do you believe it would take what do you believe it would take to create this and they 'll tell you because people know people already have the answers it 's just that what happens is um, you know in the stress and complexity of our lives, we forget about some of our deepest intentions and um, we forget that we hold harmony as a high value. So this is, you know, you need to actually let them sort of diagnose their own problems and figure out a way together to treat them. Um, generally speaking, they'll know that what they need to do is to communicate more effectively. Uh, teams will tell me, let's go right to the source, let's make it a, um, a, a, a you know, protocol. They'll come up with their own conflict resolution protocol. Um, and they need to be taught communication skills. If they don't have a model to work with, they won't know how to address the conflict. So no matter how courageous they might be, they will not address the, the conflict if they're not given some sort of um, communications model to work with. So I, I teach a conflict I teach that observation feeling needs and requests. Um, I always, you know, Stephen Covey says seek first to understand and then seek to be understood. Um, I would tweak that a little bit and say, seek first to understand yourselves. So if, you know, talking with a whole team, seek first to understand yourselves. What's going on for you? What are you feeling? What are you needing? And what do you need to do to address it? and then once people are clear about their own inner world of thoughts and feelings and needs and so forth, and they can speak to that intelligently, right? They can, they can talk clearly about what's going on with them in a calm manner, and then if they have a model for broaching the subject with someone else, again, stating your positive intention, I value our working relationship, something's going on, would you be willing to talk to me about it? And establishing a protocol that everybody agrees to, um, I had a team uh, some years ago come up with what they called a conflict resolution contract where they all agreed to um, zero in on a certain protocol, and they decided that they would have everybody follow the um, protocol. Uh, it became a standard way of operating on the team. And when they hired new people, they made them sign the conflict resolution contract because they said, you know, in the spirit of, you know, the intention of resolving conflict. This is how we've all agreed to work through conflict. And so nobody came into that practice any longer until they were willing to read the conflict contract and sign off on it, which I thought was so fabulous. And my understanding, they're still doing it.
0: So let me give you a, a, another case study scenario because this can come up uh where the, the previous one we talked about, you know, a team member rolls their eyes or is kind of acting out, that's one. In a team setting, let's say you've got another team meeting and you have a team member who is attacking, whether it's somebody who's presenting or another person in the room, but clearly there is uh, conflict there. I mean, they they do something that kind of incites a very uncomfortable negative kind of an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So if you're the leader of the team, uh, what's your judgment call here in terms of do you call a timeout, take that person aside, or do you try and Mm -hmm. deal with that potential conflict situation as as a group?
1: So so you're saying that somebody lashed out at someone or attacked someone right there?
0: Yeah, so let's say... uh, Let's say I'm leading the meeting and a, and a team member says, that really is the craziest idea I've ever heard. We tried that five years ago. It was a failure. I can't even believe we're even talking about it. This is a waste of time.
1: Okay. And everybody else is bothered by this uh, kind of outburst, then, you're saying, too, right? You're noticing other oh, people
0: are bothered by it. Clearly cr- clearly, it's created a, a a tension-filled environment.
1: Okay. All right. Well, then I would acknowledge that. You know, I I would acknowledge, first of all, I would say, you know, um, I I go back to that model always, you know, so uh, I'm sensing, you know, I would take ownership of what I was feeling. Uh, So, uh, Jody, um, you know, I'm sensing that you're not happy with what we're talking about right here. And, um, you know, I have two options right now available to me. You and I could – um, you know, step aside from the meeting and talk about what's going on, uh, or we could uh, put park this for a moment and continue on. Um, or I suppose a third option would be that we could talk about this as a team. Do you, do you want to talk about what's going on for you right now? I wouldn't let somebody. You know that they, they often say the per, the one the person who's the least committed is is the strong actually is the strongest um, has the strongest influence on the the practice and. Ooh
0: no! Wait wait wait, 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 wait! Say that! Say that again! I want to make sure everybody caught that. Say that again.
1: The person who is the least committed has the most power in the practice because they can actually wow. bring everybody else down.
0: Interesting. That's really. And it, Okay.
1: Yeah, and I, I've read, I, can't, I wish I could remember the name of the book that I, I think I read that in um, Teamwork is an Individual Skill, which is one of my most favorite books. Team, mm-hmm. I've recommended that to many teams, and they've actually used it as a study guide, Teamwork as an Individual Skill. Yeah, the person who is the least committed has actually the most power because a lot of energy goes to that individual. And so you want to get that person on board. And, again, not let them get away with that behavior. So I would step back. I would take – it takes courage. though. It's really asking the leader of that meeting to take a deep breath and really get clear themselves, is this the right time right now to say this or do I need to address this afterwards? But if that person is disruptive and throwing everybody off their game, I would point it out. You know, here's what I'm sensing, Jody. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable about what I just heard you say. And um, I have a couple of options right now. You and I could step outside and address this, or we could talk about it as a team, or you could, you know, share with us what's going on with you right now. I wouldn't let them get away with the behavior because they, they um, again, it goes back to that what you allow you teach, you know. You give them the permission to carry on like that. Um, so, yeah, I would call them on it. I wouldn't embarrass them. I mean, you know, I, I, you have to be diplomatic about this, but um, I would be firm. Got
0: mm-hmm. yeah. um, it. Is, um, is there any situation that you can think of where it would be best just not to go there, um, best not, not to confront a potential conflict situation?
1: You know, there's a, a couple of times I would say, you know, with, with conflict, I, one of the things that I've, I've taught over the years is not, I'm not coming from me. I, can't, I wish I could remember all the people. I've, I starting to quote them. But, um, you know, when it comes to conflict, you only have three choices. You can influence it, you can accept it, or you can walk away. And walk away could look like taking a break. It could look like quitting. It could look like firing somebody. But you can influence it. You can you can accept it or you can walk away. Or you can stuff it, I suppose. Stuffing it is the fourth one, which is not very effective. I never recommend it. But if, if you've really done your work, let's say you're clearly not walking away. You're not going to leave your job. Um, you've done everything within your power to influence it. And that means really taking personal responsibility, Um, Honestly, leaving no stone unturned in terms of uh, finding some way to talk to the individual. If you've done your work and you're not leaving, and that job is really important to you, then you're left with no other option but to accept what's happening. And you need to learn to do that gracefully. And I can think of one practice in particular where, you know, there was a certain certain individual that was definitely not going to be, not leaving, and this individual is not going to get fired for many reasons, it doesn't matter. It just was the way it was. Um, I don't know that that was the wisest choice, but that's definitely the decision that was made. Um, that everybody else had to find a way to accept the personality of this individual, which was um, very challenging at times. So, uh, you know, you, I think it's often very important to talk about what you're feeling and share you know with someone that your discomfort or your unease, but there are times where, yes, there are certain things you have to it's almost no option. you have no other option but to not address it. I don't think it makes for a very healthy, happy dental family, though, quite honestly.
0: Uh, okay, last case study for you. I uh, got, got a phone call from a dentist uh, some time ago, and he said, Steve, I need somebody to come in and uh, facilitate a team meeting because I have two team members that will not speak to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so his solution was, I'm going to bring the whole team together, and we're going to have a group resolution of a problem between two people on the team. Good idea or bad idea?
1: Good idea. I think it's a good idea. I, this is this, when I shared with you about those two individuals who hadn't talked in four years. This is pro- the same same situation. Um, he, the dentist knew something was going on. Knew it was probably two or three individuals, and definitely wanted to do it with the whole group. Um, now, you know thinking back, would it have been more effective for me to go in and talk with just the two individuals or the three? Possibly. But we actually didn't know who was involved. That was the interesting thing. So it took, it actually took a team meeting, you know, a team, an onsite. you know, a day, a day where we got together as a team. And, you know, because of my training as a, a, a therapist, I easily read people. I said. I'll say say it's a gift of mine. I'm able to sense what's going on that others may not see. And oftentimes just a a fresh set of eyes that, you know, hasn't seen the practice or doesn't know everybody can sense these things. And I had to, within an hour or two, I could tell who the individuals were that were um, at odds. And it was so powerful Actually, to be able to ask their permission, and this is not something that was forced on them, but to ask their permission to talk with them, and of course they had the option to say no. But I think they were greatly relieved that somebody was willing to address this. They didn't want to stay angry at each other. Who enjoys being angry? You know, when we're angry, the expression you know, um, you, you're angry at somebody else, but it's like we drink the poison. You know, they were relieved that somebody was able and willing to help them. Speak to their differences and resolve them, work through them. And the entire team, they, they applauded them when they came back at lunch, you know. It's like, yeah, what exactly. a relief. What a relief. So, yes, the whole, by that point, the entire team is invested in this and they want the relationship to improve. So I do think it's a good idea. I think it's a great idea to involve the whole team.
0: Uh, Mary, thank you for your wisdom today and great suggestions, including verbal skills and systems for dealing with conflict. You've had a lot of experience in dealing with this and giving people the tools to do it. So we appreciate your insight and your wisdom today for being our Crown Council Mentor of the Month. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Steve. It was a real pleasure to be with you.